Reddit user Hunters Suck asks, My parent got me a laptop for making the honor roll twice in a row, but I feel like I don't deserve it. I'm in high school now, and through most of my years in school, I didn't do that well. I never failed any courses, but at the beginning of last year, I did really well in school. My first two report cards was straight B's. At the start of the second semester, I got straight A's, and then quarantine started. I kept up my grades and got straight A's again. I never cheated once, and instead, I put in the time and work and exceeded. I don't know why I feel like I don't deserve it. Maybe it's because all of the last term was online and the majority cheated. I can't explain it, but I've been telling them it's too much and I don't deserve it. I don't know what to do, and I feel nothing but shame when I use it. Mm. Thank you for the question, Hunter Suck. I can relate to this. Um, you're probably sensitive to the sufferings of other people, people who don't have laptops that you know, or uh, your parents, and um, don't want to be a burden. It's okay to accept the laptop. It's the first thing I want to say. Yeah. I think, I think it's also, it's interesting how much time this person spends uh, sort of detailing what is in the history of their grades. Mm -hmm. To me, the implication of that is that, um, okay, they, they started doing well recently because they worked hard and I think their parents are trying to reward that. Um, But maybe in their head, their internal narrative is that, you know, it's own, I, I haven't always worked hard and that maybe that past experience of um, not, you know, where were their grades before and how hard were they working historically is they're sort of stuck in that story and not able to see that what they've done lately is great. And that's, that's still something to be proud of, even if there's this longer track record where maybe it's not so perfect. Yeah. I- I think this is one of the dangers of conditional gifts Mm. is um, the outside observer doesn't uh, always have the same uh, rubric or measurement as the receiver of the gift. Yeah. Notice that your parents are trying to give you a reason like to, to um, make you feel like you earned this, but maybe in your head you would have needed to have four years of straight A's to warrant a laptop. And, um, they seem to think that it's okay just for two semesters. And truth is maybe they would have gotten you a laptop, even if your grades weren't good, just because right now there's a lot that's moved online and to be able to participate in the world in many social, uh, situations, you need a a good computer to, um, video chat with people or however your classes are going. Um, yeah. Yeah. Have you had a situation? Has there been something like this that you felt like you didn't deserve? Oh, man. Um, Not in this exact sort of concrete way where like my performance directly was rewarded by Mm -hmm. something like this. Um, I I am someone who um, has just in general been afforded a lot of opportunities, especially with education. and those, those types of things. And just in general, receiving things that you don't feel 
you necessarily did anything to earn can be really uncomfortable. It can trigger a lot of feelings of guilt, or as you said, comparing yourself to other people that, that may not have those opportunities. Um, and for me, this, I, I'm in exploring this on a personal level. I think that a lot of the guilt comes from, um, is sort of my response to being, receiving someone else's anger about it. Um, I think that there were confusing messages from my parents about, um, about how, how, how lucky I was and, and what I should or shouldn't receive. And so a lot was given to me, but then there was also a lot of sort of, um, well, you're so lucky to have this. And like, I didn't have this and you should be so grateful. And, um, with, with a real anger behind it. And so I think that having, having gifts in that emotional context links those two things together of like, when I get something nice, I should conclude that, you know, I, because someone else didn't have this opportunity, I don't, I don't deserve it or shouldn't have it. Or that the pressure of what do I have to convert this opportunity into would be so high that it, it almost feels not worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, it makes it nearly impossible to really just enjoy the thing because it's always linked to that sense of, well, what did I do to deserve this? Um, and I think for Hunters Suck, they're also saying that, you know, they in the second paragraph, they say, I don't know why I feel like I don't deserve it. Maybe it's because all of the last term was online and a lot of people cheated. Um I actually think doesn't that make you more worthy of it if you didn't? That's exactly cheat? what I think. Yes, <laughs> I, I mean the two, both parts of that. That a lot of people cheated, and you said that you didn't, and it seems like that's something really worthy of taking pride in. Mm-hmm. And then also the fact that what what I've heard from a lot of students um, and adults trying to stay in their working roles and stay motivated that it's been really hard to keep going in this new world where everything's online. And so I think rather than it seeming like, Oh, you kind of got this like get out of jail free card of like, Oh, you know, maybe it was online and maybe the coursework was easier. Maybe less was expected of you. Maybe, you know, most people kind of got through it by cheating, whatever the circumstances are it's got a whole host of other difficulties that are bundled in with it that may not be the same difficulties that you would have faced if you had remained in person for this last semester. Mm -hmm. But I think it has been a lot harder to stay motivated when you're not actually in the room with your peers in the room with your teacher. Um, And ironically, you know, being, being as engaged in the assignments, I think is harder, whether the relative difficulty is higher or lower. Yeah. I wonder if a part of this, um, has to do with conversations about privilege recently Mm. and, um, feeling guilty for having something that someone else, maybe, you know, or just have heard about doesn't have, um, that's a a really tough, thing to get yourself out of uh, I've, for years about different topics just felt like, man, I have so many, um, blessings, so many advantages and 
what am I doing with them to deserve it? Somebody else would have made better use of these things that just landed in my lap. I don't know if you asked for this laptop. Doesn't sound like it was a specific request. Um, if if you get to that headspace where you feel so much shame about an advantage that it prevents you from using it to do something good or to even out the playing field, then I think that that's, uh, it doesn't help anybody else. It's not making the world better for you to just like lock the laptop in a way in a closet or even giving it away. I think like keep this laptop. There's also, um, your parents have their own idea of what makes them a good parent. And mm. maybe they are um, feeling like this is something that they are uh, giving themselves a reassurance of how good of a job as parents they are by supporting you by giving this laptop. So in one way, accepting this gift from them is um, giving them a gift. Mm. This can be a weird uh, circular way of thinking, but sometimes the nicest thing um, I could do for a... Uh, well-meaning but like unsure of what to to get me parents just let them buy me something and that's like their mm-hmm. way of feeling a part of um when they're feeling disconnected even if it's not something that i particularly exactly what i wanted or could use um yeah that can be a, a gift to them that may sound strange not having kids but a, a parent child relationship isn't um balanced it's not it's not transactional where every time that they give you something you have to give them something back. Now, where's my foot rub, son? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not um right. And if you don't get straight A's after this, you don't the laptop's not conditional like that. I would hope. Yeah. Yeah. I think we'd I heard about that. it if it was a part of the deal. You're right, right, right. Part of the message. I I really like what you said about the importance of sort of giving the gift of receiving the gift. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that is a really, really good way of looking at it. And I would, Hunter Suck, I would really encourage you to think about maybe the the gifts that you've given in the past and what was your intention for those gifts and how would you, how would you like the recipient to respond and not to negatively compare yourself and go, Oh God, why can't I, why can't I just receive this gift? Um, Because you certainly don't need to bury yourself in more, negative emotions. Um, but just for insight, I think into what it's like to be a gift giver. And as Rob was saying, like, what might your parents be wanting to signal to you and, and how can you, how can you just have a, a, a different perspective that you have the option of switching in and out of about what it means to receive this gift? Um, I think we should talk a little bit about shame and just address, you know, the fact, what can we, what suggestions do we have about how, how they can cope with the shame they experience every time they use the laptop? Hmm. Okay. Um, shame is, uh, your body and mind's response to, um, feeling that you've done something out of line with your values, with your beliefs of what's right. And it's meant to motivate you to take some kind of corrective action, uh, to apologize to people that you've hurt, um, to make things right again. 
Um, it could also be someone else's belief system. It doesn't have to be yours. And in this case, I suspect yes. it probably is. Yeah. So wh- where might this have come from, uh, the shame? Yeah. M- my guess is that it's um, some peer or an, uh, another adult who's not their parents, who's um, told them that they didn't deserve something in the past, and that's being applied to this. Um, I wonder if it is the parents too, though. I mean, it easily could be both because one of the things that I was thinking about when you were talking was, you know, what I shared about me receiving things and, Mm -hmm. and I, I definitely felt like in order, sometimes since I felt so, such a lack of control over like, what was I given? What was I not given? What was said to me and all that. Um, and just my position in life, just being born into what, the amount of privilege that I was born into would compensate for that by piling on shame and guilt and, and sort of making my, because my physical environment was so well provided for, it was like, I could balance that out, use my feel, my feelings of not deserving it kind of pushed me into a space where I would balance that out by just raining down guilt on myself. So it was like, I couldn't enjoy it. And then in some way that that would, you know, make up for it. It's like, well, at least I'm not even enjoying it. But I like your point about that doesn't help anyone is completely accurate. It doesn't. Um, but just knowing that doesn't make it easier to pluck yourself out of, of doing that habitual pattern. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that one thing that you could try is a uh, sort of uh, um, two-prong thing. First, a sort of mindfulness practice around when you use the laptop. So maybe just sit with it in front of you, closed, and just look at it. Think about all of these associations you have as far as your grades, academic achievement, what you feel like this laptop means. Just just remind yourself of the narrative that comes with just the laptop's existence as you look at it. Just kind of breathe with that and focus on the feelings in your body and ground yourself in your chair and just allow those things to coexist. Allow the discomfort and allow the groundedness and the breath to happen as well. Um, and just sort of sit with those feelings and digest them. Um, because I think, I think this is sort of a case of like the feelings becoming, um, unmanageable or excessive in response to the actual object. Um, so then another thing that you can do on top of just being mindful and and being with the fact that you're having these really difficult feelings without trying to shove them away is that you can implement like a a positive pleasure oriented kind of reward system with it, with using the laptop. So the next time you use the laptop, reward yourself with something. I mean, it's kind of counterintuitive because you're already saying like, I don't deserve this reward. And, but, but giving yourself a simple sort of physical pleasure uh, stimulus in addition to using the laptop, like, you know, you give yourself a belly rub every time you (laughs) (laughs) use the laptop to just, 
to just map another positive sensation onto something that's sort of supposed to be positive and see if that softens that link between I need to be really harsh and punishing with myself because I'm using this gift. Mm -hmm. And you'll probably meet a lot of internal resistance to that. I, when I've done practices like this, I always do. Cause you have to confront that narrative of like, I don't deserve this pleasure. I don't deserve this gift. And then on top of that, I don't deserve this pleasure, but just observe that thought pattern and those feelings unfolding and try to remind yourself that that's just your story about it. And then supplement it with something nurturing, pleasurable, um, something nice for yourself. It may be helpful to um, examine your feelings about somebody who's more privileged, more lucky than you, like a mm. prince or a royalty figure, and see if you can forgive them. See if you have any grudge against them um, for what they've been given. And if you can make that okay to yourself, then maybe... It, by comparison, you'll um, feel better about where you are in the rankings of <laughs> privilege and uh, yeah. gifts that life isn't fair is the yeah. <laughs> we can try our best <laughs> to make things fair, but it's just um, for many reasons, um, not everybody has the same amount of starting conditions and luck in many different forms. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really like painful and uncomfortable to observe those inequities. And I think there is a lot of movement right now too about trying to close those gaps and people who are articulating a lot of anger and frustration and hurt about those inequities. Um, and it, it, it's okay. You, you don't need to take them on every time you take your laptop out. Mm -hmm. There are also other things that you can do too, to, um, just make sure that you are acting in other ways according to your values as far as taking care of other people and and giving them little gifts and maybe the gift is just you say something nice to them you know just pass just pass on more positive energy mm -hmm. see how that feels yeah okay i think we did a good job answering hunter sex <laughs> question I wonder if their username yeah. is a reference to World of Warcraft. The hunter is a class, oh. uh, you know, kind of drive from Dungeons I and see. Dragons. And I see. Maybe you're a mage or something and oh. hunters are particularly annoying to you. Oh, yeah, maybe. Or maybe they're just like an animal rights activist. But you're probably it's probably more likely that it's your thing. Could be. Hunters suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bambi defendant. <laughs> um, all right. Hunters suck. Thank you for writing in, and uh, I really, I really hope that you're able to appease this this anxiety that you're feeling about mm -hmm. it. I'm thankful you, you got the laptop it. if that's what you use yeah. to post the question. <laughs> Free advice. Free advice. Free advice. Free advice. Free advice. Sixty-one. Welcome back, everyone. <laughs> That's Rob Zaleski. That's Morgan Beard. And we're here, as always, coming to you fresh, hot. It's really hot. It's pretty hot today. <laughs> it's July 6th mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. You'll be hearing this on July 8th. Or whenever you choose to play it. It's very I assume accurate. some of you 
have other things to do on Wednesday and then Thursday, or maybe even you have a traditional week schedule and you listen on Saturday or Sunday because you're so busy. Or maybe you're listening very far into the future. In the distant future. We don't even exist anymore. You're a researcher. (laughs) Mm. What are they researching? Uh, The... Okay, say it's like a century from now, Mm -hmm. and they're looking at the impacts of a pandemic. Say that we get a pandemic every century, and then kind of like a decade later, people just don't talk about it. (laughs) I've been wondering lately, how long was the Spanish flu examined and discussed? Or like, did the Great Depression come? And that kind of just was like, all right, well, this is a bigger deal than Spanish Uh, flu of 20 years ago. So fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. Or 10 years ago, I mean. Um Right. Well, I think that I think that because there is so much more information now and so much everything is so much more widely accessible, I feel like things move through the zeitgeist Mm -hmm. quicker, I want to say. Yeah. Like things are we just have our attention spans are shorter and there's more going on. There's more to deal with. It's rare that there's a a fad that stays memorable like the Furby. Mm hmm. Or do things just seem more in one human lifespan? Do things just seem more significant or more lasting when we are younger and there's less going on for us personally and and the childlike kind of sense of time? Both, both. Both. (laughs) Kids, I mean, (laughs) the the 10 year olds of 2020. Yeah. will be um, more overstimulated than we were at 10 right. by the number of right. ac- you know, input that they have. Absolutely. And this pandemic's going to seem like an eternity to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Because as a percentage of your lifetime, it's it's been, what, four months now? If you're only yeah. four years old, that's a twelfth of your life. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. It's like all you know. Not mm-hmm. all you know, but... You know, it's such a significant portion of it. And then also just, I think, child conceptions of time are different Mm -hmm. because of their brain structure and yeah. Right. How they're, how they're processing things and creating ideas Mm -hmm. about how the world works. (sighs) Yeah. I, I, I'm not envying the, like people whose expectations like that, small people, (laughs) whose (laughs) expectations of the world are being formed right now such a time of high fear and anxiety and disconnectedness. Ugh. I mean, I'm, I'm struggling with it and it's such a small percentage of my life. Right. Mm. Do you have any um, advice that you're looking for on that topic or on others? Mm. Yes, I do. Okay. What? So um, <laughs> for the past few weeks, I have been waking up on Monday mornings, such as today, with like this pit in my stomach, um, mm. it, you know, it kind of reminds me of being younger when it was like, okay, you know, time to face the week of like camp that I hated and never wanted to go to, or, you know, yeah. school at different points. Um, it, it used to, I, I guess it used to kind of fit into the Sunday scaries sort of realm of anxiety of like, okay, I've got this week upcoming and my weekend's coming to an end, but I don't really have the Sunday scaries at the moment. I really have like the Monday morning, like, yeah. Um, I think that it is it this podcast. Is there something else on Monday? 
<laughs> um, so I start my day. Um, I sometimes have like a phone call or something that I have to do. And then I have a client. Um, and then I have a generally a little break where I eat lunch. Sometimes I get groceries or I go for a swim or a run. And, and then I have this podcast. I think that the podcast does cause me some anxiety, but I think that it would probably be there regardless. Um, I, I think that I am, if I had to put a pin on it, which is tough because it's just so many things at once. Um, I think it's the fear that the slate has now been wiped clean and I have to have another week of like, okay, I've got to like prove something to myself or, or get some specific thing done. Whereas, cause as the week goes by, I, I feel like I, you know, accumulate experiences and I make meaning and I serve clients and talk to people and, you know, I'm generally feeling good mid to late week. And then you give yourself more of a pass on the weekend. Like, oh yeah, I don't need to accomplish something. Right. Friday evening. It's right. Mm-hmm. Right. So I guess the question is what, what can I do to either reframe this anxiety or, um, you know, better cope with it? Um, yeah. How, how can I, how can I enjoy like reclaim that period? I, Cause I used to really enjoy Mondays. Mm-hmm. I used to feel like, oh, okay. I like have these things that I, that I do that, that gives structure to this day. Um, when, you know, being, being sort of the master of my own destiny, doing my own thing work-wise was amorphous and, and kind of scary. And now, um, now I find myself waking up feeling anxious about having anything to do. It's like just that like sort of childlike, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to do anything yeah. kind of mentality. Okay. This is just coming to me now. I might've suggested something like this in the past, or maybe you already do it, but here it it is. Um, (laughs) I think start by writing out a list of things that you want to do, Mm -hmm. whatever the time frame is that you're nervous about, whether it's a whole week or just the day, Mm -hmm. what are things that you want to do and really let yourself, um, be as childish, like be as, uh, indulgent as you want. Maybe it's lay in bed until it's dark again, or maybe it's, um, take a bath that takes three yeah. hours and eat chocolate the whole time, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Um, and then, um, continue that process into a list of things that you need to do. And, um, you can try and link them if you want, like, okay, if I do this thing that I need to do, then I can do this thing that I want to do. And mm. I can create kind of a, a, a sprinkling of each, like a, a back and forth so that I never get to, or you can clump them and be like, okay, I could do these three things that I need to do mm-hmm. and these things that I want to do. But I think just having it written down is like the prime anxiety alleviator of, um, make it visible in front of you, make, get it outside of your head and into something. Um, yeah. But I hear you on the um, avoidance, especially upon waking up. Um, I felt that way about like just expecting a text from somebody in the morning and I don't want to look at the phone. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. It, uh, I've struggled with that too on a lot of days, not just Mondays though. Right. Yeah. I feel like I, I always put my phone on airplane mode when I sleep. And on days when I wake up with more anxiety, the idea of turning my phone back on and like whatever's going to come in, mm-hmm. just the fear of having to attend to literally anything, you know, it just like, it feels like I'm already uh, mentally and emotionally like saturated. Yeah. 
And it's like the thought of any new thing coming in to deal with. It's just I have this like, oh, like I want to throw up reaction. It's so bizarre. I get it. I think some of it's transitioning from that unconscious, cozy, safe place of the bed to then having like a more uh, public facing, mm-hmm. ego engaged persona. It, um, mm. Sometimes it's been taking me hours to get to where I feel like I'm ready to communicate with another human being after waking. Um, yeah. What is that? Pe- like what ha- transpires in that period of hours? Mm. I think I just, I start to feel more energy. It could be related to coffee or, um, moving, uh, finally saying like, okay, I'll start doing the thing that I don't want to do. Um, just feeling ready to, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think it's interesting to observe that. Yeah. That process just kind of happens somehow as we start introducing more stimuli and then there is that sort of point where you're like okay (laughs) okay i gotta do something all right yeah (laughs) um and it can feel really abrupt if you have to jump right into something for example Mm -hmm. um but sometimes but sometimes that's it sometimes it's the all right one two three go yeah you just do it (laughs) for real and then there's of course um writing down or just doing the very smallest first step of the thing that you need to do make it like extremely extremely easy if you have to read a chapter of a book it's just uh grabbing the book and opening it to the page and not even looking or um right yeah turning on the water to to start doing your dishes yeah totally Mm -hmm. i i heard somewhere recently and i i want to look this up because Mm. i feel like it relates to this very deeply um that when we wake up, we our our systems are kind of like plugging back in and, and getting turned on. And so all of this different chemistry and hormones and like stress response basically activates because it's like waking us up. Um, and it's I, I kind of want I want to pin it on that purely like physiological thing, because it for me, it does feel so physical of like, oh, I have this. It's like a, in my gut. And it feels like I want to throw up. Yeah. And then maybe to some extent I'm adding the narrative on about what is this about? What are the things I might be anxious about when really maybe it's just my body being like, okay, we are just turning on our stress response Mm -hmm. because I feel so remarkably different generally throughout the rest of the day. Do you shower in the morning? No. I think... That can be, I'm not going to say it has to be cold. It doesn't, doesn't have to be, but just going from dry to wet to dry again yeah. can be a real yeah. refreshing, like I feel like a different person and yeah. the crust is out of my eyes that way. Yeah. I actually, I do think that like thresholds are really mm-hmm. important of, of when you're feeling a certain way, just instead of staying in that mode and kind of just grinding it out, um, creating some type of separation, something that you pass through some little mini ritual, something like that. Water is such an easy, um, or like an accessible and effective one because it's cleansing. Mm-hmm. It's so sensory. It's like got that whole symbolic thing. <laughs> yeah. Being baptized into a new world. <laughs> yeah. I think it really does activate you though. And like get you responding to new, 
stimuli and just uh, adjusting and then getting dry again, I feel like I'm less likely to just feel like the same person I was when I rolled out of bed. And I think part of the frustration for me too is that I, th- I often sleep is that for me. Often sleep is the reset that I need. And so when I wake up and I don't feel optimism about how the day is going to go, or I don't feel rested. And instead I'm like, Oh God, I feel worse than when I went to sleep. It's discouraging. Have you tried uh, conscious complaining, just out loud lamenting to one of your plants about how bad <laughs> the sleep was and how you don't feel like doing anything? I should do it out loud. I should, sh- I should, instead of just in my head feeling angsty, I should articulate it out loud. I'll, I'll do that this week too. And then yeah. we can report back to each other how okay. that goes. Sounds good. Yeah. Cause I've been having the same issue and, uh, I'm interested. What are you going to tell? Yeah. What are you going to talk to? Um, I can tell complain? the rabbits. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Maybe they'll both have different responses that'll really <laughs> give mm. me an impartial <laughs> audience. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of anxiety, yeah. I've got a question for us. What do you think? I'm ready for it. Let's get it. All right. Until Dawn is gay, <laughs> G-E-I. Okay. Okay. Until Dawn is gay, we're going to say that's how it is, asks, how can I be less anxious for my new job? I'm 15 and I've been shy my whole life and I hate talking to new people, especially at work. I'm going to start at a gas station this weekend and I'm feeling so fucking anxious, mainly because I have to talk to customers and random people all day. So how can they be less anxious? What I do before interviews or first days, first times of doing things like this is um, a run where I push myself and really it's panting. And then a cold shower and then put on my favorite clothes that are are clean and presentable, whatever I feel good in. And then I just feel by comparison, like, uh, I feel responsible and I feel like whatever comes next I can deal with because I just endured two difficult things. And then I think my body releases some type of high endorphin, some, something that makes me like more relaxed yeah, I think that's a great idea. I mean, and I and I like the ritual element of it too. Um, it's something that you get started with. You warm up your body, your mind sort of kicks in, mm-hmm. and then you, surely as a product of having done those things, feel like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm making moves in this world. Yeah, <laughs> and then that maybe that would translate into more confidence when you then have to talk to somebody. Somebody. Mm-hmm. I think. Um this is related to like people who skydive or do other extreme Mm. sports talk about it's the rest of your life, the calm and the focus that it, it affords you to have those experiences recently that you were just like faced with your survival instinct kicking in. Um, you feel so alive the rest of the time and Mm. like, um, calm and, uh, confident that you're able to deal with it. So cold water really is one way to trick yourself and be like, oh man, this is really intense. I might freeze right now. And then you're okay. And you have that experience and it makes um, somebody looking at you strange for muttering a word 
less threatening. Um, you can also do that experiment of writing down the things that might go wrong and then just what would be the first thing that you would do if, you know, somebody asked you a question that you don't know the answer to. Okay, what would you do in that situation? Um, make a list and let these be as absurd as possible. And just the act of doing that, I think, kind of turns on the lights in that dark room of terrifying things that might happen at work. Yeah, I I love that idea. Um, I absolutely, I think that, you know, no matter what, you're going to show up and you're going to get the job done, whether you feel the anxiety or not. Um, and so the question really is, okay, how can we, how can we just make the time between really when you like are now and when, when you actually get to work and start? Because I think that there's really no added benefit to being anxious now in preparation for a scenario that, um, you know, is going to happen. You're going to have to go to work and talk to people, of course. Um, but as Rob said, I think that we often overassume that like our worst fear is going to come up and mm -hmm. then we're not going to be able to deal with it. Or we just haven't even articulated it that far out to recognize like, Oh, a, this probably won't happen or B, if there is some kind of emergency thing that happens or just the, the worst realistic case scenario, there will be protocol and, you know, you will kick in to mm -hmm. a mode and figure it out. Um, if your anxiety too is about talking to people, maybe one thing you can do is just start practicing talking to people in the time both in the time from now until you start the job, like in, in these days, just when you're out and about, I mean, Corona makes this a little bit harder, but there are still little moments where you can engage with strangers and, and push the boundary of how much do you do that? Um, mm -hmm. and how present are you in those conversations? Um, and even if you are like your first day of the job, you might be really, really anxious maybe give someone a phone call on the way to work and just talk a little bit, yeah. just kind of warm up that blah, 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 blah. Now I'm a person that's talking because right. a lot of times like, you know, we wake up, we go to work and between that time we haven't opened our mouths yet and said anything. Sure. Um, so just kind of getting that vocal pathway ready to go and, and recognize that you're not going to open your mouth and, you know, some terrible thing's going to come out. Like right. you're going to remember, you're going to kick in you, your native English speaker. <laughs> right. right. Maybe. I don't know. Well, yeah. Um, but you know, be fine you, if you aren't, you've made the words you've, you've made the words before. Yes. You will make them again. And yeah, there are definitely going to be things that you won't know. And you're going to have to ask people to repeat themselves, or you're going to have to just say, I don't know. Let me go check. And you're going to have to ask a lot of questions of your manager. And that is always uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like those, those interactions where you can't, you can't be that useful right away because you just don't know the protocols and, and that's okay. It sucks, but it's okay. You'll learn, you'll pick it up. You got hired for this job. You absolutely can do it. Yes. Um, and if you were somehow to fail, That'd right. be all right too. Yeah. This isn't a last chance at work or at socializing with people. Yeah. Um, That's a good point. And I think the fact that you have this fear right now, while uh, it can be uncomfortable, also points to that after your first successful day, 
or as things start to become okay, it's going to feel a lot better by contrast. And it's going to be, um, you're going to have a greater sense of contentment and pride about the fact that, hey, I'm doing okay. I'm helping customers. I'm being paid. I'm being compensated. I'm valued. Um, when it goes all right, you're going to feel better about it than if you were just like, oh, here's another thing and or not really thought about it beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. And if you trace that, I think that'd be really satisfying to just check in with yourself when you get to that point where you're mm -hmm. no longer even remembering that you're anxious mm -hmm. and you go, Oh man, like when I started this, I was so anxious. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, on the other hand though, I've had jobs where it just wasn't the right job and I felt screaming anxiety like every single day and it didn't get better. Um, and so that's an important signal too, to pay attention to if that were to be the case for you. Um, because as Rob said, it, it's, it's possible that this won't be awesome and you will have to reevaluate and that would be okay too. That would be okay too. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you're going to get a lot of valuable experience and it sounds like a lot of that valuable experience will just be confronting these anxieties and learning that you can handle it. Yeah. And then the next job that you get after this in all likelihood, you'll be less anxious because you've had the experience of starting a new job, mm -hmm. but you know, especially if this is your first job, it's really, it, it can be really scary. It can be really scary to manage. Like what are people's expectations of me? And, um, am I going to meet them? Yeah, exactly. I mean, just knowing that that's a, a normal response to entering a new situation where there's a lot of unknowns for you, um, can help just to, you'll get used to the feeling of anxiety and sometimes you can call aspects of it excitement because you have questions about what's this going to be like. And, um, some of it will be disappointing and some of it will be surprisingly good. Yeah. And then I always find that when I expose myself to new things that gave me anxiety, that I feel just a little bit more confident about exposing myself to other things. Yeah. Um, and so you'll, you might notice that certain other social situations that, that used to be fairly anxiety inducing for you are a little more tolerable mm -hmm. and you can walk around in the world just feeling that much more capable of meeting the challenges and meeting those unknowns. For sure. I'm excited for you. Yeah. Tell us how it goes. Yeah. All right. Okay. Cool. Next question. Next question. <clears throat> This one comes to us from Night Vision. Night Vision. Sex addiction? Question mark. Okay. I know sex is something that's a part of nature and isn't necessarily a bad thing. Without the act itself, no one would be here. However, just like the parable says, too much of anything is not good. I never really knew about porn until middle school, and it didn't really become too much of a problem until I got into high school. I didn't think it was much of it and actually saw it as a teacher for sex since me and my dad never had the talk. After a while, I noticed that it's all I was really looking forward to doing after school and it got worse and worse. It started to affect the way that I think and look at women, messed with my productivity and helped held me from becoming a good student. Now I'm a young adult and don't want my addiction to continue affecting my life. Any suggestions? Mm. Thank you for... Uh the question and your honesty on a subject that many people find yeah. shameful or difficult to bring up. 
Um, yeah, uh, there's a community of people online who have struggled with similar issues uh, called NoFap on Reddit, which I <laughs> recommend checking out. Um, it's it's a subreddit, and there's also a website and a lot of YouTube videos. Uh, there's a whole community of people who are uh, analyzing this and working out ways to overcome it. Um, I think the important thing is to... Uh, kind of like the anti-drug campaign of the 2000s, come up with something else that you can feel connected to. Um, I think all addiction stems from a lack of uh, enough connection and meaning um, in other areas of the person's life that whatever the thing is that you become addicted to, um, is like an just almost good enough substitute for that meaning that you get from feeling like you're uh, engaged with your work or engaged with other people, really like finding a sense of flow. Like um, I think we have a need to get out of our ego and be like lost in something and um, substances, sex, pornography, um, binge eating all of these can provide that so um yeah that's my advice find something else that you love and um is kind of scary and take a step in that direction challenge yourself in that um would you feel comfortable talking about your experiences in this realm because i i don't feel like i have as much personally to contribute um i have things i want to say but i'm curious what you can say from your personal experience. Um, sure. I think that, um, yeah, if it's something that you have to do, like you can go cold Turkey on alcohol, but, uh, sex, masturbating, um, attraction, dating, flirting, all of these things are, I guess you can technically survive without them, but um, the human race can't. So like you have to do it somewhat. Mm -hmm. um, it's always going to be there and um, it just becomes less appealing or less of a problem as other things fall into place. Like um, having uh, other responsibilities and connection to other people. Yeah. Um, yeah, that may be restating what I said, but it's okay. Um, that's been my experience. Yeah. So, um, one thing that I really want to call out, which, um, I don't know, whatever. Um, <laughs> I guess it's because I am a woman. Um, I just appreciate the way that you say it started to affect the way you think and look at women. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think this is such a pervasive reality and, and problem with large scale consumption of porn and in lieu of sexual education too, um, is that it, it completely rewrites the norms of how women are interacted with sexually and what women like and, and how they want to feel and, you know, creates that, uh, sense of objectivity that I think is really harmful for, for creating meaningful connection. And so I just, I really appreciate that you're 
noticing that in yourself and calling it out and um, that that's a part of what's motivating you to want to change your behavior. Not all porn is this way, of course. Um, I, I'm a fan of female friendly porn, which I, I kind of wish it wasn't female friendly because it was like, cause you know, to me it's like, oh, putting it in this bucket of like, oh, here's your like little soft, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. Um, you know, it's still people fucking and it's still hot. But if, if you, the problem is that if you're desensitized so much by getting, uh, so many novel ways of people having sex and, um, just so many things, something that is, more drawn out, more sensual, um, more sort of real feeling might not seem appealing to you. Um, and then, then, you know, I've, I've heard that that also impacts your ability to, to be present in the way that you would want to for, for actual live Mm. in-person sex. Um, as far as the educational aspect, I wanted to recommend, uh, the book, the guide to getting it on by, uh, something, Johan, <laughs> something like that we'll uh, pop a link in the, we'll pop a link in the description for sure um there's a chapter in there called the porn fairy which uh, addresses this and i i think um can address some of your questions if you are looking for a more comprehensive education um given the absence of that uh, talk with your father um i think this is a great resource yeah um Okay, so I want to address more of just sort of like the holistic answer to this question, too, um, because I haven't really said anything except for like, yay, women. But um, yeah, so recognizing that you are recognizing it as an addiction, I think it's really key. That's a that's a great first step. Um, Just recognizing that overall the behaviors and everything involved with maintaining this addiction is doing you more harm than good than, than the short term satisfaction of getting off, um, or what, you know, whatever is really appealing about it to you. And maybe that's part of the process is investigating, well, what part of this behavior is what really compels me. And I do sort of suspect, uh, similar to what Rob was saying that the connection is a big part of it. Um, and, and maybe escape from, from some of these other things that are problematic that are piling up as a result of devoting a disproportionate amount of time to this area of Mm -hmm. your life. Um, so one thing that you can do is, um, try to make other things in your life that you want to incentivize yourself to do more rewarding um, because it's it's hard because they have to compete with this thing that's so habitual now with you and is so like intrinsically rewarding and as far as like the brain chemistry that it it ignites and set and sets into action and everything. So in order to get excited about other things, obviously you have to kind of turn the volume down on this behavior because it's it's so stimulating and so rewarding that nothing else is going to seem exciting in comparison is my assumption. Um, so the next time that you are studying or out for a run or, you know, any, any healthy quote unquote behavior that you want to incentivize yourself to do, just try to be really present during that experience and notice in your body what's going on and what's pleasurable about that. Um, and 
remind yourself, wow, this is such a great thing that I'm doing while mm-hmm. you're doing it and really spend at least 13 seconds at a time actually being with that feeling and sort of writing that memory so that you have a clear, um, you know, thing that's, that's even coming to the table as far as competing with, well, should I go for a run or should I watch porn? Should I study or should I watch porn? Um, yeah, I think that's great to have a substitute activity for moments where you're feeling like, Oh, I really don't want to do the thing that I'm supposed to do. The thing that I have to do right now, or just dealing with uncomfortable feelings and wanting an escape, um, having some other physical, uh, this is like a run, I think is a great one. Um, burpees, uh, cold shower, <laughs> really though. Um, Secure all. <laughs> just something physically activating like that. Um, that you can get lost in and like push yourself to some extreme where um, you're challenged by it and and your heart is pumping and you get activated and then you'll be calmer uh, by Mm -hmm. comparison afterwards. Yeah. And it sort of has a climax and a release Mm -hmm. to it. Um, So I think that, that, that is a quite a good substitute. Um, The very, the the last thing that I want to say is that, there is a an, an, an addiction community around this type of addiction. Um, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, SLA, S-L-A-A. Um, and I have explored going to SLAA meetings from the context of not sex addiction, but love addiction, um, which is the root is the same. Uh, as Rob said, addiction at its core is a struggle with attaching to different things. Those structures in our brains weren't, weren't formed adequately when we were young because we didn't attach to a caregiver that could help us emotionally regulate. And so we go to these other um, substances, experiences, whatever, in order to self-medicate and um, get us to that spot we want to be, that, that ooh ah, now I'm there kind of feeling it's, it's like gratification. Yes. That, that, that gratification. Um, and so speaking personally for me as a love addict, I was, uh, my sort of substance of choice was more fantasizing about a perfect partner being, getting to escape from, or being rescued by some other person from, um, just the, the pain that underlies that compulsion. Uh, sometimes it's loneliness, sometimes it's sadness, sometimes it's the fear of, um, not being good enough or, um, a fear that, that I'll never get out of those states that I'll always be lonely, um, unwanted, whatever. It's all very like, uh, messaging from a very young sort of like pre-verbal I would say place very when we're very little that's often when we get that kind of injury or those kind of messages it's sometimes it's not something that's really directly told to us um and so feeling the validation that comes from someone else's interest in us a new romantic partner that um, maybe is even sort of unavailable in the same ways um as the the initial wounding parties very compelling to me and it 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 activates that desire to merge with them and sort of cease cease to be 
myself with my issues that I'm dealing with. Um, and so I don't know what those underlying things for you are, but going to a meeting or just reading some, some literature about sex addiction, um, and porn addiction, it might give you a little bit of insight into what is this like for other people and how have they supported themselves around it and how have they developed, um, healthier, healthier behaviors, um, or healed some of those underlying wounds. I think, I think going to therapy is a great spot. I think going to a support group is a great spot. Um, but ultimately it really boils down to, um, developing a relationship with the void that you're trying to shortchange by, um, going into this, um, you know, going, going into porn, masturbating sex. Um, we are, we all have this feeling to some extent of Mm -hmm. wanting to escape from certain elements of our lives or who we are, things we don't like about ourselves, Um, and it's okay. It's okay that you are that way. You know, you're not broken. It's, it's complicated. It's complicated. We get a lot of conflicting messages about sex too. And especially dealing with it in a way that's so private, like, you know, just going by yourself to watch porn and, and jerk off is like, you're, you're still sort of hiding yourself from the rest of the world. There's no one to react to you positively or negatively. Um, and that's why I think starting with a therapist or going to a support group is so key and maybe something that you resist because of that, but it's so key to show up and, expose those vulnerabilities and to see other people exposing those vulnerabilities and to see how that shifts, how you feel about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Try masturbating without porn. (laughs) Just (laughs) continuing to masturbate as much as you want without uh, any kind of source material. Um, That can be easier than... to all or nothing approach. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, um, they there is no there's not really a complete abstinence because like you said, the nature of the problem is just so gray and amorphous. It's not like an alcoholic who um although harm reduction is is a method of dealing with alcoholism where you're you're not completely abstaining, you're just doing it in a slightly safer way. Mm-hmm. Um, but with, with sex addiction or love addiction, it is much harder to isolate what's called your bottom line behaviors, which is the set of the set of behaviors that for you are not safe to do too dangerous, lead to other things or, you know, just aren't desirable to you evoke those same feelings or, or get you to escape from yourself in some kind of a harmful way. So you will define or decide for yourself if, you know, is masturbation okay at all? Or is it, is it just porn that I'm trying to get away from? Um, so yeah, you can try different things and see how, see how that shifts your lens 
as you experiment with limiting or eliminating different variables of, of what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, um, by defining your problem and what the consequences are of it, you can define, a, a healthy use scenario or a healthy relationship and aspire towards that. And with this in particular, I, I recommend, yeah, not going that cold tur- turkey route, um, but acknowledging sex and your sex drive is a healthy part of, um, or a potentially healthy, um, source of energy, motivation, um, way of relating to other people. Uh, yeah. yeah. Something to integrate into the rest of your life. Integration. I love it. Integrate. <laughs> cool. Right. Thank you so much for that question. And if you have any feedback for us, comments, anything that you try or just want to share with us, we would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Um, that goes for, of course, anyone, any of our previous advisees, you can mm-hmm. always write to us at freeadvicepodcast at gmail.com. Or if you're listening and you've got a burning question or a slightly itching question, we want to hear it. We want to help you out. Freeadvicepodcast at gmail.com. That's us. That's we, us. We respond to every email. Except when we get spammed. Yeah. <laughs> it's natural. <laughs> Anything else you want to say to the folks? Mm, nope. Um, join us in trying to complain to an object or a pet <laughs> or plant in your house when you, when you wake up or when yeah. things are going bad in your day. Um, just let that shit out and tell it about it. Be as whiny as you want. And see if, if they have any advice that's good, let us know that too. The animals and plants? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe though, maybe it'll you come to you. Maybe you'll do both voices of yourself and the thing and then mm-hmm. it'll just the act of speaking it out. Right. Mm-hmm. It's really going to, yeah, that's the thing. It really is going to come from you, but you can imagine that it's coming Having from the Having a second party, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, wow, I was such a patient listener. I was able to realize that, mm-hmm. whatever. Great. Is that the end of our episode? <laughs> I think so. Wow. Wow. Good work, us. (laughs) (laughs) The most self-congratulatory podcast on the air. (laughs) Yeah. A plus. A plus. We should get a laptop. (laughs) 